Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. So I'm just going to read uh, the Bible passage for today. It's from Ezekiel 37 verses 1 to 10. Uh, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you in skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I, as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Uh, Please join me in welcoming the delightful David Stroud as he comes to speak to us. Thank you, Elise, very much. Since Elise has gone back to studying rather than working for me, her descriptions of me have got better and better. Um, we'll work that one out. Thank you, Elise, for, that, for doing that and for the reading as well. 1725, somewhere deep in East Germany, Christians who had been persecuted left their homes and belongings behind. They became refugees, and they made their way to the estate of a young count who would promise them a place where they could live and where they could worship freely. As they worshipped and as they prayed together, several years after that, there was a very special outpouring of God's presence. We haven't got a lot of descriptions of what happened, but what we do know is that there was a special nearness of Christ that was experienced People said it felt like an overwhelming flood of divine love. As a result of this, they started to pray. Fifty of them signed up to pray an hour a day uh, through, through the day, and shortly after that, others joined them and began a prayer chain that lasted for 100 years without being broken. Somewhere in that community, there was always at least one person giving themselves to prayer for an hour. Well, once you've got this sort of concoction of an outpouring of divine love and ongoing prayer, then other things inevitably happen. And the Moravians became known as those that sent people from their community all over the world to, sh- all over the world to share the love of God. One of their number, Peter Bowler, was determined to go to the States and he came to London to prepare. And whilst he was preparing, he helped start a church a church about a mile from here. And he became a friend of John Wesley's, and he invited John Wesley to this meeting on New Year's Day, or I should say on New Year's Eve. You may be familiar with what happened, but here's John Wesley's own words. About three in the morning, 
as we were continuing in prayer, these Moravians had really got this prayer thing. The power of God came mightily upon us in so much that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. It became the start of the Methodist movement that transformed our land, reforming prisons, starting schools, feeding the hungry, helping many people find Christ. At a time where England was dark, there was a light that shone. And people have made some very big claims for what happened as a result of East Germany to Fetter Lane and a service there to Wesley's Methodists. The American 20th century president, Woodrow Wilson, put it like this. He said, Wesley played no small part in saving England from the madness which fell upon France before the century ended. He's talking about the revolution. Experts, many experts say, it was that experience of Wesley's at three in the morning that contributed at least to saving this country from the revolution and the massive bloodshed that affected France and other continental nations during that time. One of John Wesley's friends and fellow leaders, George Whitfield, was invited to go and speak on the east coast of the States. And he found there that there was an outpouring of the Spirit not just in Saxony, in East Germany, not just in London, but also in Northampton, Massachusetts, not far from Boston. There, there was a very bookish academic preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He had extremely short sight, and so he would read his sermons like this. He was known for his academic rigor and his logic, which made it all the more extraordinary that as he preached, people would tremble under the power of God's presence. They would be known to hold on to their pews and cry out in fear of being separated from God and his love. It didn't just affect the meetings, but it affected the towns as well. And Jonathan Edwards, the bookish short-sighted preacher, spoke of a glorious alteration in the town, which seemed full of the presence of God. Let your imagination roam for a minute to think what Oxford Circus would feel like, full of the presence of God. Piccadilly, Green Park, Highbury, Streatham, your favourite part of London, full of the presence of God. What's notable is how these awakenings vary so much and are so different. Jonathan Edwards had nothing about him to persuade you he was a great orator. But George Whitfield, the Englishman who'd arrived there, they said that his voice could carry to 10,000 people. That one but from George Whitfield could start you make to sob, start to sob. And he was a never used notes, he was a great orator. And he preached across the states. Benjamin Franklin, who helped form the American Constitution, Wrote, wrote this of Whitfield's visit to Philadelphia. He said it was wonderful to see the change soon made by his preaching in the manner of the inhabitants. One could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families in every street. Imagine walking down your street and hearing worship music here and then up there and then not being able to sleep at night because your neighbors are praying. That was something of the experience of this extraordinary awakening 
which if we had time to tell, didn't just stop on the east coast of America, but went to the native Indians, where there was a wonderful work of God from Saxony in East Germany to the native Indians of North America. And as Elise said, we're doing a series on awakening, and actually rather than a service-specific sermon today, we felt that the right thing to do was to continue to remind ourselves of what happens when God pours out his Spirit in awakening power to encourage us to pray, along with many Christians all over the world, to seek him for his presence. And I want to go back to Ezekiel. We were looked at one of Ezekiel's visions last Sunday. I want to look at another of them this Sunday. Elise has already read to us. It's a vision in which Ezekiel walks through this valley, which is a picture of the state of his nation after Babylon have been in, taken all the leaders away and savaged the people. So if you're an Israelite reading this, your heart just plummets. It's full of darkness. It's full of desperation. Ezekiel walks through a valley. Well, we know what mountaintops represent. And of course, valleys are the opposite. They're darkness and desperation. And he walks through the valley and we're told there are many bones. In other words, there are many people that have been slain, many of Ezekiel's fellow countrymen who lie, or the bones lie there, and we're told the bones are dry. In other words, they've been there for some time. And it reminds us, of course, of the state of our nation. And I'm, I'm not going to talk a lot about our nation right now because we often do and I think we're all persuaded that there's an awful lot of loneliness and division and mental health epidemic and all sorts of challenges that we are all facing at the moment and I don't want to suggest it's all out there because anything that's out there tends to be in here as well so it's not just that we're fine but you know out there it's all darkness we get affected often deeply by darkness ourselves. So this valley affects, or this valley represents our nation right now, the darkness, but I suggest it represents many of our lives or parts of our lives at this point in time now. Some of us will say, part of my life at least, it feels like people, like part of me has been slain or it feels like there is... Little here but death and destruction. <laughs> the Lord turns to Ezekiel and he says to Ezekiel, in verse 3, he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel replies, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. I read that as Ezekiel saying, I really hope so. But this requires your work. Why does God even ask the question? Why does he ask the question, can these bones live? And you may want to ask that question in your life this morning. Can the valley in your life come to life again? Instead of being a valley of darkness, a valley where a fertility and life full of blossom and new things. Or you may, as you watch the news, read stuff on the internet, read your social media feed, just say, can these bones live? Can they? 
And you might be inclined to respond as Ezekiel did, like, well, I really hope so. Why did, I mean, why did God even ask the question? Well, he asked the question because any time there is an awakening, whether it's a personal one or a community one, that the Lord is always looking to partner with us. As extraordinary as that seems, that the God of heaven would work with us, that we are his co-laborers. And so he's always looking for faith. When Jesus is speaking to the centurion and says, I'll come to your house to heal your daughter, the centurion says, no need, I understand authority. If you say it's done, it's done. And Mark says... Or that Mark records Jesus as, I'm sorry, Matthew records Jesus as having said, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. It's as if he's looking. It's as if, can these bones live? And then he's looking. Does anyone, anyone have faith? Is there anyone here this morning with a say, yes. And why is faith so important? Because without it, God limits himself to not working very much. Here's what it says of Jesus in Mark's Gospel. He could not do any miracles. Hello? Jesus, the Son of God, could not do any miracles there. I like this sort of, this is almost English understatement, except lays hands on a few people who are ill and heal them. To me, that's pretty good going. That would be a great day, but there we go. None of you need any reminding. I'm not the son of God, so that's maybe irrelevant. Uh, He was amazed, though, at their lack of faith. So in this awakening thing, whether it's for your life or for our lives, faith matters. It's as if the eye of the Lord rose the land looking for faith. David, a man after my own heart who served the purpose of God in my generation. And one of the things about David was he saw Goliath and he said, let me get him. Who is this who comes against the army of the living God? (laughs) And the army of the living God was like, well, he is huge. David says, no, I have nothing of it. Can these bones live? Well, how do we... How do we get faith? How do we grow in faith? I want to suggest we grow in faith firstly by reading the Gospels. When did you last open the Bible out of church and read it? Read the Gospels. Years ago, as I was praying and thinking about, does God always want to heal? And I realize I'm touching on a complex a uh, complex question here, and there will be people in the room who are sick and have been sick for a long time and have asked God on many occasions. But my question was, does he always want to heal? Here's what helped me. Somebody said to me, listen, if Jesus were to walk bodily into the room right now, what would he do? Would he heal? And I'm like, well, of course he would. Well, you see, when you read the Gospels, you find out what God is like. Because he is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God is like and what he'll do with the dry bones of your valley or our valley, then read the book. Read the Gospels. Read about Jesus. And there is, if you're interested on the question of healing, there's much more on the website which you can look at or listen to 
where we go into much more depth on the question of healing. Read about God's promises for provision and for strength and for help. Read about God's acts from the past. But as we read, then faith as a general confidence that God can and will work grows in us. So I want to encourage you not only to read, but allow what's in the Scriptures to shape your mind and to form our thinking and our, so that it goes deep enough so it's like our, our intuitive or our immediate reactions to things. So we're to read about the life of Jesus, about God's work, about all the promises that he has. But there are times too where it's as if God gives us a gift of faith. In a moment, suddenly, we just know God will work. When we first, when we first decided to move here to start a church, and my overseer, our overseer, the person who we looked to for direction, said, yes, go. I knew that God would bless us. I woke early for the next three months, excited. That was not characteristic of my waking moments as the father of relatively young children at the time. I just knew. You may say, well, what did you do? I didn't do anything. I just knew. In 1949, in the Hebrides, North uh, Scottish Highlands, off the coast, the islands there, in 1949, two 80-something women, 80-year-old women, became very distressed by the lack of young people in the parish. There were none that went to church. And there was an 82-year-old woman and an 84-year-old woman, and they decided to pray. And they decided to set aside Tuesday nights and Friday nights to pray. And as they were praying, one night, one of them had a vision. And in that vision, their church was full of young people and there was a young man they didn't recognize who was preaching. From that moment, they knew that there was going to be an outpouring of the Spirit on, on the Hebrides. And if we had time, we could tell of some of the remarkable things that happened later as a result of their faith. Faith matters. Faith matters, but faith is also honest. When Jesus came to the father of an epileptic, now if your son is regularly fitting and sometimes throwing himself into water so you could lose him drowning or throwing himself near or into fire so he can burn, it really matters that something can be done about it. And Jesus says to him, anything can happen if you believe. And the father, it's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, sometimes on occasion you get a gift of faith. If you feel that gift of faith, go with it. Believe it. Do not think I'm you know, crazy. Go with it. But listen, most of the time we're in that space of I believe, but help my unbelief. It is okay to be honest with God. It is okay to tell him how you feel even when you're not pleased with how you're feeling. Because truth resides in the inmost parts. And the only way for me to deal with my anxiety or my pain or my doubt is to tell him about it and then allow him to take me on a journey to a point of peace and confidence and strength. Without that, you hear people declaring, I believe, and you look them in the eyes and you think, it looks hollow and it's, I'm sorry, it sounds superficial and it sounds hollow. 
And then you meet people and you think, they really believe. And when I hear them speak like that, I believe too. Because they've been through this, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. Faith also needs working at. Needs holding. The Proverbs say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Have you been waiting for the bones in your valley to come to life for a long time? Did you believe at one point in time, but now you're just not quite so sure? Or maybe you're just now, you're like, deep in my heart, I, don't, I do not believe. I was the optimist and now I'm the cynic. Hope deferred has made the heart sick. I want to appeal to you with all my heart, protect your heart. Protect your heart. It's where spiritual life and spiritual power and spiritual authority reside in the inner man. And so we need to look after and protect it. For faith matters. You don't need lots of people to believe, but God is looking for somebody to believe. Will you be that person? Will you be that person? And then we see Ezekiel having been asked, can these bones live? The Lord then asks him to speak life into them. And again, in the strange nature of the way that God often works, he doesn't just look for someone to believe. He looks for someone who will be obedient. He asks Noah to build an ark, though there's no water in sight. He asks the priest to put their foot in the river whilst it's in full flow, knowing they have men, women, and children behind them who are going to follow them. The way I understand the feeding of the 5,000, he asked the disciples to hand out the bread before it, as it multiplies, before it multiplies. As they hand it out, it becomes, I think, it multiplies. Man with the withered arm. Jesus says, stretch out your arm. It's withered. He says, stretch it out. And as the man seeks obedience, says the arm is healed. So it's not just a matter of finding, working through our doubts and fears and anxieties to faith, but it is also a matter of finding ourselves in a place, bringing ourselves to a point where we say, I will do what you say. The count I mentioned right at the start of this sermon his full name was Nicholas Sinzendorf. Prior to opening up his estate to all and sundry Christian refugees who wanted to come, he was in an art gallery in Dusseldorf where he saw this picture. Next slide, please. And at the bottom of this picture of Christ says these words, This I have done for you. What have you done for me? And the young count stood there in his early 20s looking at this, and it pierced his heart that Jesus had done this, and therefore it, he was calling the count to give everything to him. There's two ways of living an obedient Christian life. One is to settle it at the outset. I'm giving everything. I will be obedient. And the other is to make the decision every time there's a challenge. That second way is really, really hard work. Will I or won't I every time? Probably the most fundamental nature of a disciple is someone who has literally bowed the knee and said, I lay everything, my future, my money, or lack of it, my assets, my profession, 
my future relationships, yours. Now I am your servant. And you find life as you surrender it. That's what Zinzendorf did at that point. As we do that, as we give our lives, it may be that the Spirit prompts us in terms of prayer. These two old ladies, our 82 and 84-year-old ladies in the Outer Hebrides, after they'd had this vision, they went to the minister and his seven elders of their church, and they said, you shouldn't be relying on two old ladies to do all the prayer. You should join us. And they were praying from 10 at night till 4 in the morning. They say, as you get older, you need less sleep. Well, nonetheless, just a remarkable thing. And these seven men came and joined these ladies for the next six weeks. And they prayed those two nights a week until Duncan Campbell arrived. And not only, did the, was, not only was the church full, but as Duncan Campbell walked from one place to another, he would come across people in the fields who were on their knees crying out to God for his mercy and for his grace. Obedience also leads to the means that we respond to the inner promptings of the Spirit. Confessing where we need help. Confessing where we're in trouble. Confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Isn't that interesting? You sort of think, confess your sins and you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins and you will be healed. Maybe there's to be a time of healing in this church. And as we work through our doubts to become those that trust and believe, and as we surrender, so we lead to receiving the Holy Spirit. So Ezekiel speaks and says, and, and then the Lord says to him, or after he's spoken, he says, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and bones came together, and the breath of God then breathes into them. And all these other things are important. Faith's important. Obedience is important. But the Holy Spirit is what makes the difference. The Holy Spirit is what makes the difference. Dwight Moody was one of the greatest preachers of his generation, a 19th century preacher based in Chicago. But he would say in his 20s, any fruit that he got was largely because he worked really hard and he was really enthusiastic. He said it had little to do with God and there was little lasting fruit. Two old ladies, again. Maybe we need more old ladies in this church. Two old ladies who used to pray for him and used to encourage him. Why don't you ask God for the Holy Spirit? He was offended. Why? I'm needing this great church. Seek God for the Holy Spirit. In the end, he did. And he said this. He said, I can only say that when I prayed, God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. He then went on. He said, the sermons were not different. I didn't present any new truths. And yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before the blessed experience if you should give me all the world. Can I ask whether you've received the Holy Spirit? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you. But have you received a drenching, a filling, an overwhelming, a drowning in the Spirit? 
But that is what Moody had, and it made all the difference. I love it when he says the sermons were not different, and yet hundreds were converted. Pray for your leader that he may be filled with the Spirit like that. Pray for us all that we may be. And the results, we're told, and maybe the band could come back, please. The results were that a vast army, or what the New Testament calls a family of soldiers. The New Testament never calls us an army. It calls us soldiers individually and a family corporately. It talks of focus, determination, training, discipline of a soldier, but the love, care, and protection of a family. And so a vast army family rises to its feet. Hey, I think we could do with that. I think we could do, an army has one vision. An army is not debating. The soldier's not debating. I think we should take that hill. I think we should take the beach. I think we should take the city. No, the commanding officer comes in and he says, this is what we're doing. That's it. That's what happened. That's why Paul prayed to the Philippians, I pray that you will be of one purpose. Not there, there, and there, but that. Spirit came upon them, and it was like they rose. One focus, one heart. It's the second thing Paul says. So one purpose and one heart or spirit. That people would say that Christchurch London, they move like one. How do you distinguish between them? Well, the Spirit so filled us, it joined us. And there's a commitment to one another. It says that as the Spirit blew, uh, sinew joined sinew and bone joined bone. And I guess that's particularly the individual skeleton coming together. But I like to think it was also a joining of the different individuals. So that I'm like, you're my brother and you're my sister and we're committed together. So I think the Lord is looking here and he's looking to where he can blow on the dark valleys in our lives and our nation. And he's looking for faith. And he's looking for those that will say yes to him, to be obedient. And he's looking for those that are open to his spirit. And as we believe and obey, it's very simple. And as we receive, believe, obey, receive. So a vast army as one rises up for the glory of God in this nation. Let's stand together.